Hey listeners, and welcome to My Streaming Bubble, that podcast where I talk about the shows that I love with the people I tolerate. I'm your host, Jen, and back with me in the bubble is my buddy, Eric, and we wrap up our chilling chat on the chilling adventures of Sabrina, diving into part four of the series. Welcome, Eric. Hi, everybody. Thanks for having me back, Jen. Absolutely. I'm so super excited uh, to talk about the so far final season of Sabrina. And today we are going to focus mostly on the first half of uh, season four. So covering episodes one through four and the Eldritch Terrors, but there likely be spoilers for the entire season, but we will try and focus just on the first half. Mm -hmm. So what did you think of, we'll just go with this as the last and final season since it hasn't been confirmed that it's going to be picked up or saved um, by Mm -hmm. any other streaming service. So right. What did you think of the last season? Oh boy. Well, um, Overall, I thought it was really fun to watch. I thought the idea of how they filmed this last season was actually pretty brilliant, focusing each episode on a particular baddie, villain, whatever, and just having it all lead up to Sabrina's eventual swan song in episode eight. I thought the writing was fantastic. It wasn't my favorite season, only for the the fact that there was one episode I was not a fan of which will come in the second half of our uh, recording. Ah, okay. Um, you know which one I'm talking about. But aside from that, I, I personally feel like it was a near-perfect season with very few flaws. Some, what's the word I'm looking for? There wasn't as much progression in some certain character aspects that I was hoping to get wrapped up in this season. Like things that character development we've been seeing over the last three seasons kind of fell flat for a couple people. But overall, overall, I felt like everybody served their purpose. They played their role beautifully. You know, there were some amazing, amazing moments in the later, later, uh, latter half of the season. But yeah, I was impressed. I thought, I thought Netflix did it justice if this was supposed to be the last season. Yeah, I agree. I enjoyed this last season. I thought it was a lot of fun. I was I was a lot more excited about it than I think I realized because once I started finally got to sit down and start watching it. I just had like the biggest shit eating grin on my face. I'm (laughs) like giggling and there's, Oh God. And then there's times where I was just like, like just (laughs) groaning. I'm like, what? Like, okay. For example, like in episode one of um, the season darkness and they're all trying to figure out, you know, Sabrina's kind of figuring out where her place is in the real world. You know, now that all of her friends have, partnered up and, and do yeah. all these things and there's you sure. know, they don't have the band anymore and then Harvey says the dumbest fucking line he's like well Roz and I make our own music now and <laughs> I groan and I was like god Harvey you suck <laughs> uh, yeah. but at the same time it's like I loved it so I yeah. I laughed I gasped and I yelled shit at my television and and it was just, it was a lot of fun. I would agree though, that there was a lack of uh, further development in, in some characters. I was kind of, no, not kind of, I was disappointed in the lack of uh, Judas and Judith again. Yeah. Like, at least they were there, but what, I, so disappointing, such a letdown. I felt like they could yeah. have done a lot more. Judas and Judith was, you know, they, they, 
uh, go after season two or no no season one uh when they were born you know when madam blackwell uh gave birth to them i i think they were building up the idea of we were going to have this huge story built you know throughout the rest of the seasons uh for these two children and through the rest of the series it they just as characters they fell flat there was nothing there for them i mean season three we saw them you know as teenagers about to be sacrificed you know to what we didn't realize at the time was going to be an eldritch terror you know and then when they got them into the uh into the dollhouse they were trying to protect them from black from blackwell but nothing happened with them in the end they were nazis for one episode <laughs> um you know so that was weird and you know and the whole thing was like you know when we're first given the characters, like you said, in season one, and they're born. And then Zelda saves Judith by giving her to the one, mm-hmm. uh, the one uh, rogue witch, whatever. I can't think of her yep. name, but yep. I just thought that was, you know, because it's hard to do things like with a baby, you know, storyline wise. I think for something like this, sure. I'm not saying it's impossible, but I thought like, okay, we're, we're given a baby and now we're done. And that's kind of it. And that's okay. I felt like that was fine. It was more or less just the birth of them. But when they came back as, you know, teenagers, I was like, okay, so maybe they do have more plans for these two characters and we'll see a bit more of them, but nothing. So I'm, I'm thinking the showrunners just didn't really know what to do with them. You know, now here are these two new characters that within one season and keep also in mind that season one through four all takes place within one year of of Sabrina's 16th birthday. So the idea that within that time, that timeline, these brand new, these newborns are go from newborn to like 14, 15 years old, you know, there's. 15 years or so of storyline there that's missing. And I think maybe personally, I feel like maybe they choked on that a little bit on that idea because what happened to these two over the course of that 15 or so years? And Mm -hmm. now we have to jump in, expect that they are these fully developed characters like Prudence, Sabrina, uh, you know, Roz, uh, Theo, you know, whoever. So I think they just kind of gave up on them but they just couldn't get rid of them you know what i'm saying they're part of the story now but trickle them in every now and then just to remind people that they're still very disappointing but that's all right maybe they'll get a spinoff who knows maybe we will get a spinoff series for those two and that would be fantastic i'd approve of it (laughs) and maybe they'll maybe they can get like their own like comic series if there isn't already one so why not why not the eldritch the eldritch terrors yeah um I gotta say, I was extremely happy with the way that they brought in the new baddies for this season. Because in past seasons, if we really look at it, it's been Sabrina versus Blackwood, Sabrina versus Lucifer. And, you know, of course, some little demons in between there, but those were the main baddies. And although Blackwood is still, in a sense, the main baddie, Blackwood is now undermined by how much lack of power he has in comparison to the eldritch terrors and i think he tried to believe he may believe that he could become one himself um he could could become as powerful as an eldritch terror and 
we saw through each episode. I love that at the end of each episode, he'd be like, he would announce it's the next terror that's coming, you know? <laughs> like, I just always, I, I actually thought that was kind of funny, kind of quirky. Each episode revolved around a specific terror, what Sabrina and the gang had to do to defeat that terror. And some of it looked, I mean, we all knew that in the end, for the most part, they were going to come out on top. They barely made it in most cases, you know? And I thought that was really cool to show that this group is vulnerable. They can they can be defeated with the right amount of uh, leverage from the enemy. And, uh, you know, I was just a really big fan of how each episode really revolved around an, a different terror. I agree. I, I, liked, I liked that too. So the first episode, we get the darkness. So my initial thought when I when they came on screen was a whole mess of stuff. So it was, are you my mummy? I got some <laughs> serious uh, My Bloody Valentine's vibe. So that was a horror movie that came out sometime yeah. in the early, you know, familiar with Jensen Eccles and Killer uh -huh. Minor Ghost. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. Um, so those were my first two initial reactions kind of in that opening when we first see the darkness. Right. right. And I like that. Uh, and on a side note, just that, we get more Salem this season. We do. We get a lot of Salem this lot. season. Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what's funny about that, though? I actually mentioned this on my first my our first uh, uh, watch through when I was watching with my wife. Is um, Salem, you know, speaks to her and Ambrose a lot this season, but you never see Salem opening his mouth. It's really funny. <laughs> I just thought I, yeah. I I have a cat. I have a cat and my cat, when he meows, his, his jaw is just like, you know? <laughs> and you're watching Salem, he's going meow and like nothing's moving. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But yeah, I agree. Um, you know, that opening sequence, you know, with the miners and the gas masks, you know, knocking out all the lights, like, like Ambrose said, they're like moths to a flame. Mm -hmm. You know, the darkness is attracted to light, even though its sole purpose is to snuff it out. Although the miners weren't really the bad guys per se, they were just uh, the, uh, it was just the darkness incarnate, basically. It, it set up a really good tone for the rest of that episode. Um, especially like, I really like the part where her and Ambrose uh, astral project into the cave or into the mine. And like, they just see these miners standing around like what looks like a tar pit. And actually what I, I thought it was kind of creepy. I thought it gave off a really cool, creepy vibe to that part because it's a very dark location. There's not a lot of light actually used in that scene, just enough so you could see what's going on. The way that scene was shot was beautiful, in my opinion. And it didn't even last that long. It was maybe like a 40 minute, second to maybe one minute, one minute scene where they're just in that, in that uh, mine astral projecting. But it just gives you a sense of how like, purely evil the darkness is, you know? I'd have to say, I think out of like, at least the first four of the Eldritch Terrors, the darkness for me was like the scariest. The yeah, creepiest. it and was. Maybe it, and maybe it was just how they were brought in and into the season, into the episode. But, and it's not because I'm afraid of the dark, but I am wary of what lurks in the shadows. Well, it's an enemy you can't see. Yes, there's the, uh, uh, the miners aspect of it. But like I said, that's just the darkness taking over just some clothing you know there's nothing in there like when the when the one miner goes to the uh, uh uh the academy 
and Hilda pulls its mask off when she says, why do all bullies wear masks? And she pulls it off and next thing you know, like the clothes just collapsed to the mm-hmm. floor. That was spooky. It was. It was super spooky. It was so brilliantly shot and filmed and written. Um, you're right. I, I have to agree with you. Of the first four Eldritch Terrors, the darkness is my favorite just because you don't see who your enemy is. It's just dark. And yes, there's that voice that the darkness uses. But still, I mean, you don't see who's behind the void. I mean, it's just a just a void. And that's pretty sweet. That's a cool enemy. I also want to talk about, since we're talking about kind of like the beginning of the episode, uh, how the episode truly opened on the Pilgrims of the Night Church, which is the new church that Father Blackwood has developed with him, with him and Agatha. I wondered at the end of season three, what the hell are they going to do? You know, because at the end of season three, you basically see a Cthulhu-like character, like, in a shadow. And now we know what the egg's purpose was. The egg's purpose was to call forth at least that one particular terror. But he's gone from the Church of Night to this, uh, the, to the Church of Judas, to this rogue warlock who's now trying to work in older magics. You know, he's all scruffy in season three. And now he's developed this Pilgrims of the Night Church where he's trying to, it seems like, bring on a cult following. Like, he's trying to redevelop what he had with the Academy, but now with people who are basically willing to sacrifice themselves to the, to the terror. I mean, he, he has Agatha, who Agatha is really, let's, get, let's admit, it, is just more under his spell than anything. Yeah. Uh, Miss Wardwell, who just, dude. <laughs> Michelle Gomez as Miss Wardwell this season killed it. Even though that we we have our opinions on how Lilith was developed, which we'll get into that, I'm sure, a little bit. But Miss Wardwell, I think this was her best season ever. Even though season one, we season one and season two, we really didn't have much of her at all, except towards at the end of season two. But oh my God, like just her being this really easily manipulated woman who it's not really so much about God with her. It's just about a higher power because Miss Wardwell's a lonely woman who doesn't have a lot to, you know, she doesn't have Adam anymore. Mm-hmm. You know? So I think she just uses religion or, you know, a church. So that kind of uh, institution in general as a way to be able to cope with her loneliness. And she's willing to follow that into the darkness just so she's not alone. Yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. Because at first I wasn't, you know, just kind of, I actually felt like Michelle Gomez was not utilized to her full ability in this season. Yes, she portrays two different characters with two different kind of belief sets and everything, opposites of of each other, Lilith and, and Wardwell. But I just kind of felt like with Wardwell, yeah, because she's in like that dark, lonely place. She's still kind of reeling from everything that happened in the previous season. These flashes yeah. of remembering little bits. Uh, clearly, Sabrina's memory wipe spell did not work because she remembers the spell she, as being she, she walked past her. She had that flashback. Yeah. <laughs> and I felt like, you know, you mentioned Blackwood trying to build like a cult and cult leaders prey on the weak and vulnerable and that are easily manipulated. And that was totally Miss Wardwell this season. And I don't know. I, I didn't really like it. I didn't really like that. She was so easily duped into following them 
um, Agatha and, and Blackwood. And I feel like maybe at some point she could have switched. Like she just, she was a bit hesitant and everything. And during like the second episode with the uninvited and finding out that, you know, the uninvited doesn't have a tongue and can't speak. And you know, they're just like, all right, well, you know, Blackwood tells Agatha, fetch a tongue. And she's, and Wardwell's like, what? Like surprised yeah. and disgusted, but she's still stuck around. Even after Agatha's like, oh, I got the tongue from one of our parishioners who's really chat, who, who was really chatty. Yeah. But it's still, but it's still that sense of belonging, you know, like. I suppose like she didn't have anywhere else to go. She didn't have anywhere else. She does. She doesn't have anyone. She's a lonely woman who who lost her, the love of her life you know and she's not to make like sabrina or the spellmans or anyone sound like the bad guys because we know simply they're not but she was ba- she's basically traumatized by you know the developments of just what's happened to her in the first two seasons and not having a memory of anything you know when she starts getting these flashes in season three uh, you know, was she living two lives? Was someone else living her life for her? And she finds out, you know, the Spellmans were directly involved. Involved, I'm putting in air quotes. You know, she goes from season one to being this helpful woman who wants to help this stranded girl on the side of the road, you know, being a good Christian or whatever she whatever she is, to just, I, I feel like she's just a really, really sad person. You know, she's, she's a traumatized woman who we don't see maybe a lot of trauma in her acting, but I feel like behind there, there is trauma because she lost parts of her life and she doesn't know what to make of it. And maybe we could have gotten a little bit more of that. Had we gotten maybe just a few more scenes of just her in her home kind of, I, I, cause I guess like the, the main moment for me where you get that sense that you were talking about is when Agatha shows up at her door to recruit her, you know, and, uh, Wardwell is still wearing her cross necklace. Yeah. Now she's yeah. got a drink in her hand and Agatha yeah. kind of calls her out of, you know, what are you afraid of sister? And yeah. I don't know. I just, maybe it was just overall, like knowing what Michelle Gomez is capable of. I just feel like overall. You felt like she was underutilized. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I totally get what you're saying. I totally get it. And you know, you know, let's just talk about it right now and get it out of the way since we're on the topic of Michelle Gomez. Um, we were talking about how Lilith's character was not used to her full potential this season. She had some moments. She absolutely did. But those moments did not stand out as far as like how they did in the last three seasons where she mm-hmm. was a huge part of the story. You know, not quite the protagonist, but she was damn near close to it. You know, gosh, I don't know. I mean, she had her baby. Okay, which there's further developments in that later on after season after episode four. But we at this point she's had her baby. She seeks refuge at the coven because she knows that uh, uh, there are those who mean to harm her and her child due to the line of succession, which we will get into that in a little bit. But overall, she didn't have that. Like over the last three seasons, she's been a teacher. You know, like Lilith has been a teacher to Sabrina. And has been there to, even though she kind of, she gives Sabrina a lot of shit. <laughs> it's like, you should be doing this. That's not how these things are done, Missy. Ultimately, she was always there for her. This season, we don't really see that so much. 
we don't really get a good ending to Lilith's story, I feel, but we'll get into, I think, that in the second half of our recording. Yep. Yeah, you're, I agree with you there. Michelle Gomez is capable of so much more than what she put out this season. I'm just glad that one of her two characters was able, in my opinion, to develop a little more so we can under, try to just get this understanding of this lonely woman as opposed to this crazy, beautiful hell witch we were believing for the last three seasons is going to make a huge impact It's in the final season, and it just kind of falls flat, so yeah. falls flat on its face. That's okay, though. Well, I'll, I'll save my, my Lilith rant for our second half okay. of the recording. Well then, uh, so you, I, I'm, I'll be mine. like rewatched and refreshed, and my anger <laughs> and my ranting. So yeah. So Sabrina, this mm-hmm. in this first episode, we learn is like you mentioned before. You know when she, all her friends are all kissy and huggy dubby with each other. You know we learn that Sabrina's pretty lonely. Harvey and Roz have each other. Theo and Robin have each other. She's just kind of like. The out, she feels like the outsider. She's the fifth wheel. She's the fifth wheel. And, you know, Sabrina's not used to that role, which I think is kind of hypocritical on her part in a way because she's always had a boyfriend, um, whether it be, you know, uh, uh, Harvey or Nicholas. But this is the first time where we see Sabrina truly feeling like she's alone, mm-hmm. you know, even in the group of her friends. And I think that happens in real life with a lot of people too, especially teenagers probably. I think it's funny how she, the lengths that she'll try to go, though, to try to, to, to make it about her. Mm-hmm. You, get on, you get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like with the whole Bloody Mary thing. And what kind of universe is this where they don't know what Bloody Mary is? Not even like actual, you know, spell casting and everything. And it, yeah. when, when she's first like, oh, it's the ghost of Bloody, you know, it's the ghost of Bloody Mary. And this is what we have to. And the kid, they're just like, what's Bloody Mary? I'm like, yeah. what the fuck? Um, I know what Bloody Mary was since I was like, yay, hi. And you exactly. know what? That shit still kind of creeps me out to this day. I don't like the idea of standing in a dark room saying Bloody Mary in a mirror three times. I just don't like the idea. <laughs> me neither. I, I don't like it. It's spooky. <laughs> but you know what? You know what, though? She's not fully to blame for that. She really isn't. You got the part of the blame goes on Hilda because Hilda encouraged her to do something that may be a little naughty to get her friends to, uh, you know, to, to, to hang out with her again. And Hilda sees that Sabrina's lonely and see that, and that she's sad. But I feel like Hilda was more just trying to help her without trying to tell her to manipulate her friends. You know, I just, I don't know. She wasn't too clear in her message. No, and I felt like you have to be clear with Sabrina, otherwise she's just going to go off and do whatever the fuck she wants. And I felt like her trying to dupe her friends with the the Bloody Mary thing and bringing back like the Fright Club and all of that. Like, obviously, you know, Roz saw through it like right away and called her out on it, which I was really happy about because I'm just like, if Roz is your best friend, like you can't tell me you couldn't have just pulled her aside at some point and had that bestie conversation. Just be like, girl, you know, we're best friends. You know, if you want, we'll never, you know, I got a boyfriend, but it doesn't mean we're going to stop hanging out and stop being friends, you know? Just like, hey, can we have like a girls night or, you know, just like a group hang kind of thing? Right. And I feel like that even though they're they're all best friends, you know, the group doesn't really call each other out too much on their butt on each other's bullshit. But I'm glad that Roz did right there. That was huge. Uh, That was huge. That was huge for Sabrina. That was huge for Roz and the group. Um, I did think it was pretty funny, though. 
that with the whole Bloody Mary thing that one uh, Salem glamoured was glamoured as Bloody Mary. Uh-huh. And, I just thought, and I thought it was funny, like uh, he, he first appeared in the bathroom with the jocks. Yeah. You know, I thought that was kind of clever. Um, and also when, at the end when Bloody Mary uh, was uh, defeated, it explodes all over Harvey and now Harvey's a big bloody sticky mess. I thought, I was like, good. If anybody, if any, that happens to anyone, it has to happen to Harvey. Fuck Harvey. <laughs> so, so with Harvey, other, you know, he had his dumb line in the first yeah. episode about oh, beautiful music. Um, <laughs> I don't be mad, but I don't uh, hate Harvey as much as I did in season one. Like he's grown on me and worn me down. Maybe I'm just maybe I, I think if you too go much back hate and, his way. And in the first couple of seasons, where now I'm like, all right, fine. You know, I know I say the words character development a lot, but <laughs> drink. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. That's a fun drinking game. <laughs> Yeah, isn't it? <laughs> but Harvey really has come far as a character. He has. And you're right. We Neither one of us liked Harvey in season one and really didn't like him that much in season two. I mean, he, he was a little better in season two, but he didn't grow on it that much. Season three, he started coming more out of his shell. And in this season, I feel like he's fully developed into the man that he is meant to be. But there are still some things about Harvey that bother me. He has a prejudice, whether if he wants to admit it or people want to admit it. And it's against witches. He is trying super, super hard, though, to fight that and beat that prejudice and prove he's better than that, which is great. Good for him. Um, I believe even if you grow up in a household of prejudice, you can beat that. You know, you just have to think for yourself. And I think a lot of it has to do at first with Harvey's family history of being witch hunters. And when he finds out later on uh, when Roz uh, is a witch, which, holy fuck, Yay! talk about character development. I was Roz, so happy. Roz has come further than I think than any other character in this season. And uh, we will definitely touch up on that. But when she comes out to him, he makes that snarky remark in the school yes. in episode four, where he's like, how are you going to perform your duties as student body president and be a sentinel at the same time? And it's like, dude, that's your fucking woman. You know, that is. And Raza's response to that was beautiful. She's like, yeah. well, I would think that I would have the unconditional support of my friends and boyfriend. And then, you know, gets up and leaves and I'm fucking good for you. Don't sit there and take a shit. He just makes that like face like me, 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 me. And then there's also the scene where him and Theo and he's and Harvey's just like, why does every girl I fall in love with gotta be a witch? Like, ugh, it's not about you. Shut up. Yeah, it feels like maybe you have a type. Yeah. (laughs) But it's good that Harvey had those moments though, because Harvey overcame it. Because in the end, him and Roz, you know, I mean, lived looks like blue could be happily ever after and he's overcome his prejudice he really loves Mm rocks he loves her he loves her he loves her it's just because of his experience with sabrina and also even though it doesn't really fall so much on him as it does his family his family's history of being witch hunters the kid had a lot to go had a lot to overcome and i feel like you're right i don't hate i don't hate harvey yeah i don't hate him he's Harvey's a Harvey's a team player. Okay, he's one of the good guys. Mm-hmm. 
even though sometimes I just want to hate his face. It's okay. Don't get me wrong. There's times where I just wanted to punch him or just shake him. But yeah. overall, by the especially after my second rewatch, I was like, uh-oh, I don't mm-hmm. hate Harvey as much. Like, yeah. <laughs> kind of cute. Like, oh, what? What? Uh. Uh, that's funny. <laughs> well, good for him, though. Good for him. There were some other big, big things that happened that just happened in the first episode alone. Um, and I've just noticed we barely talked, we talked a little bit about the Eldritch Terror, only a little bit, because so much happened in this first episode. So much. I, I kind of noticed, like, with this season and each episode being a different Eldritch Terror, that, okay, because you know, in our, in our past discussions, we get to that penultimate episode, the one, you know, the the one before the finale. Yeah, yeah. And there's always been that moment where all the characters, you know, Sabrina and the Spellmans and Ambrose and everyone finally come together. And there's always this like word vomit of like, here's all the insane shit that's just happened in the last, you know, like eight episodes. And it's, yeah, yeah. you don't realize how, how much it is until they kind of list it out all bam, 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 bam. Sure, sure, sure. So instead of kind of, I don't know. I felt like in this season, it was all of, it was that feeling, but with each individual episode, there was always a lot going on. And I think for me, episode two, I think had the most going on storyline wise. The uninvited. You've got Hilda's wedding. You've got a loose incubus and that's (laughs) running around. You've got the uninvited. You've got Sabrina Spellman trying to break up Sabrina Morningstar and Caliban. Yeah. And there was just a lot, but I, somehow this show is able to work, work with all of that, give us a fuck ton of stuff going on, but make it yeah. all work kind of seamlessly within either the episode or the season. Yeah. I mean, they all, every episode wrapped up like how a season would wrap up. I yes. Think, you know? Like it all, it, it all comes together in the end. You know, we start from part A or, or point A and now we're at point Z. Whereas you, in any other season, you know, you don't get to point Z the very, until you're literally on the last episode. But they fit that into every episode this season, which is absolutely amazing. Which is, and they were written so well. None of it felt rushed either. I don't, I, I mean, I still have to watch episodes five through eight again. Maybe I'll have a different perspective, but so far, watching the first four episodes and from my first original watch of the watching of the season, none of it felt like it, it was rushed and just to get everything out there. Mm-hmm. That's why I felt like this was a good way to, if this is the last episode or last season of the, of Sabrina, I would love to see more, but I wouldn't be disappointed with the way that, that, that it ended if it didn't mm-hmm. come back. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I hope it does, but where do you go from here? You know, to be honest and without going too much into it, I wouldn't mind maybe like a movie to kind of oh, like, so, a, like, a ti- like have a, have there be like a time jump or something. And we yeah, see how sure. the rest of everybody's getting on. Yeah. Yeah, sure. I would be, I would be fine with that. I don't know. I would be, I would want a whole other season, but maybe just kind of a movie to wrap up some of the, the loose ends would be nice. Yeah, sure. Sure. Speaking of the uninvited, so we talked about how the darkness is our favorite of the Eldritch Terrors. Um, the Uninvited is probably, in my opinion, the most, you, I, I feel really bad for him. Me you too! Know? He's, the, he's the saddest of the Eldritch Terrors. Oh, 
you know, it, it kind of, I feel like, portrays a little bit of what Sabrina was projecting in the first episode of feeling alone. Now we have an Eldritch Terror, the uninvited, who has lived an eternity by, by himself. Mm-hmm. I wrote this down word for word, and I just want to, I want to quote it. This is from, uh, I'm jumping kind of ahead in the episode, but this explains him perfectly. It's at the wedding, you know, after the wedding, and they're at the, uh, uh, at the party. The uninvited gives a toast, and he says, uh, in the beginning, there was darkness, and there was fire. The first sentient beings gathered around that fire, and when I tried to join them, they turned me away. And in that moment, and in that moment, I, the uninvited, was named. He then goes on to explain that he killed the sentient, uh, the sentient beings, and he was destined then to wander the cosmos alone. He also goes over that after he was turned away, he was granted a seat at a table uh, besides his brother and his sister, Darkness and the Weird. Mm-hmm. How true to life is that idea of feeling lonely? Mm-hmm. When, when you're alone and you truly feel alone and you're depressed, you're down and you just feel like nobody cares about you, you just want some sort of acceptance. You want to you want to belong somewhere. In some cases, it doesn't even matter where, which can get scary sometimes, really, if you're really not that picky about the crowd that you run with. But here we have this just absolute lonely being, and his way of getting back at you is if you don't if you don't invite him in, you know, for comfort and warmth in your home, he's going to kill you, you know. But that's his purpose now. So I feel so bad for this guy. And especially, oh, especially in the end of the episode. Oh, my God. I understood why they had to do what they had to do. I, I totally get it. They had, to, they, they had to trick him. They had to trap him. But when he carried Sabrina into the dollhouse, and she's like, I'm going to go slip into something more comfortable, he realizes right away something's wrong. And he's like, this isn't, this isn't right. right. Yeah, and then he looks at her, he's like, you broke, my, you broke heart. my heart. Yeah. Oh, he broke my heart when he said that. I was but like, then he gets up like super fast bastard. and tries to run at her. And I'm like, holy shit, close the door. <laughs> <laughs> like, damn you, you know? But it's like, oh my God, dude. It's like, this is the one Eldritch Terror where I really wish maybe later on in the season they could have come back to to try to redevelop and try to make him feel wanted because sabrina tricked him into making him feel like she loved him she wanted to marry him she allowed him to kiss her at the fake wedding yeah yeah yeah, i know but still you know uh, underneath all that shit he was actually a pretty good looking guy he cleaned up nice like literally cleans up nicely but still yeah that was and that was hilarious too because then you hear some of the people in like in the hell crowd just like groaning (laughs) like (laughs) oh i know i know but yeah, the uninvited was just a very. It was a, it was a good story. It was a sad story. He was a very sad being. I wish that we could have maybe at least gone back to him, like I said before. But and I don't think that there could have been any redemption for him because we see at the wedding, you know, Nick is the one that turns him away because he's all cleaned right. up, so they don't recognize right, him. Right. And once he breaks into the reception, and they realize that they realize it's uh, an Eldritch terror. He's like, you know, I was turned away, yada, yada, gives a speech. And I loved what Hilda tried to do. Um, And she's like, well, it's my wedding. And so no one really has 
any say in who can be here and who cannot be here. So you are invited. And I was like, for that brief, stupid second, I was like, oh, that was brilliant. This will, this will totally work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I thought it was, I thought it was a great move. And the fact that he was just like, no, you're all kind of fucked. I mean, that's what loneliness, depression can do. Totally jade you and just make you not want to trust. And I think after- He said the two words, the only two words that a person could probably say in that situation. He said too late. Yep. And so I think, especially after getting- burned by Sabrina, I, I don't think beyond that there would have been any chance of him changing his ways at all in any any way capacity. Yeah, yeah. And I guess I see what you're saying. Um, and it makes sense. It makes sense. But you just, again, you just feel so bad for this guy. Yeah, he is, he is the saddest eldritch terror. Um, but I liked this episode and here's what I liked about this episode is so Roz she touches the uh, uninvited because he shows up at Harvey's place while they're making out and everything and she's like no no we need to let him in I just have this feeling something bad's gonna happen she ends up touching him or he grabs her arm and she gets all these random yep. flashes the next morning after her and Harvey make their music <laughs> shoot me in the face I'm so sorry I said that <laughs> um <laughs> Harvey wakes up at his desk with all these drawings all, and they figure out that he has drawn all eight Eldritch yep. Terrors, which I that loved. So there was something about that that felt very familiar and kind of reminiscent to the uh, tarot card. Episode. Oh, season three. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So I went back and I watched just his, just his reading. And I kind of want to go back and watch that whole episode again after I finish the season's rewatch, but just his. So he goes, because I remember when we talked about that, I thought his was the dumbest, his was the uh -huh. lamest. And, but in the rewatch, his roommate says that he hears the voices of the harbingers of the void. Oh, and when, after the roommate commits suicide, and Harvey goes to open the closet door because the roommate says they speak to him from the closet. I paused it and there's a sketch, a drawing taped to the closet door of eight shadowy figures. Do you remember when we discussed that episode and I said right at that part too, if you look close enough, there Oh, I love, I love how you just like, I figured that out. I'm, all, I'm doing a shimmy. Like, look at me. I figured stuff out. <laughs> Did you, when you rewatch that, do you remember what I said? If you look close enough, it's only for a split second. It looks like there's a dark figure that appears behind Harvey and grabs him on the shoulder. Oh, no, I did not. I will keep that in mind um, when I rewatch. You're going to make me want to go and rewatch that now because I don't think, I didn't notice that, but that totally makes sense because what if now with this other, his roommate being dead, Harvey has now taken on that responsibility of seeing the into the void, seeing the hearing the terror. So they don't explore that too much in the season. Yeah, that's a good, that's a great connection. I, I didn't even think about that. Um, so something else, something fun I want to talk about. So we get away from all this depressing shit from the Uninvited episode. <laughs> so this goes back to episode one of the season, but we'll just bring it up from here. What also happened at the beginning of this episode, after we watched the mother and her daughter basically die from the uninvited, is Sabrina. I don't think the daughter died. You don't think so? Oh uh, yeah, no. I guess not. She the wasn't daughter... the one who did. She wasn't the one who denied him the invitation. 
exactly. But I don't like how they left that open because initially I was like, oh my God, did he just kill the little girl? Like, no. Yeah, yeah. But she, her body wasn't in the morgue right. when Ambrose was doing yeah, the autopsy. Right, right. So we can only hopefully assume that she lives and is, I don't want to hope she's in foster care, <laughs> but hope that she's alive. Can you imagine Greendale foster care? Jeez, uh, gotta be terrible. At the beginning of this episode, after that scene, uh, shortly after that scene, we are follow we are following up with Sabrina uh, after she had her dates with Carl and Melvin. Melvin. So I did love that Sabri- that Melvin in episode one asked Sabrina out. I thought that was cute, mm-hmm. you know. Um, mm-hmm. And you know he he was missing Dorcas and he was missing. Oh, I always forget her name. Episode. El- Elbeth, that's it. Elbeth, Elbeth. Yeah, I think it's right. Elbeth, right. like like Elizabeth. Okay, Elbeth. You know, but you know, he just he, Sabrina's kind of taking it the wrong way, thinking he's asking she's asking her to be his girlfriend, and he's just like, it's a, just a date. But you know, good on Melvin, you know, for going mm-hmm. up to Sabrina, and then Sabrina's take goes on a date with the jock as well. You know, who's asked by his buddy to whether if he wants to, she wants to go out with him because he's inexperience what a stupid thing to say what a stupid what a chachi thing to say (laughs) (laughs) and i was like is there some sort of like assumption that sabrina's experienced like i didn't understand i don't know why that had anyway like i felt like that was a line that didn't well maybe it did have to serve its purpose because of who he is i mean he's well he's just one of the jock characters but anyways, um, so she has their dates. They go to the movies. I thought it was funny. She scheduled two movie dates on the same night, though. You know, they, right? she went and saw Alien at seven o'clock, and then the Rocky Horror Picture Show at midnight, which is fine. That can work out. But Alien is like a two and a half hour movie. Then they got to get back to her house. She has to get changed. Then go to a, back to the same theater with Melvin. It's like that's a that's a that's, that's got to be done really quickly. But I just thought it was good that she was saying, fuck it, you know, um, I'm going to try to put, I'm going to try to put myself out there. You know, I'm not going to be a hussy or nothing, but you know, I'm just going to date. I'm going to date. And that's what she did. And I did like the fact that at least she gave it a shot. It didn't work out with either one of them, but later on, as we learn in season or in episode three, she meets another young man, another uh, young, good looking swimmer who she fancies and goes on a date with him too. So I think it's really another big part about this season is Sabrina trying to find the one, you know, trying to find that person who makes her feel like how Harvey and Nick both made her feel. And then she decides, well, if I can't find him, I'm going to create. And she makes, she starts making the wax guy in her bathtub which I'm kind of glad they didn't go any further than that than they actually did, because I think that could have gotten really, really weird. Like, it kind of reminded me a little bit of uh, season three when there was this, well, there's already two Sabrinas, but the, um, oh, what, is, what do they call her? The one from the cocoon? Oh. Oh, oh yeah, the little, um, ah, oh, fuck, what did they I call her? I can't him? think of what it's called. I don't know. The, the, the ginger root. Yeah, the ginger yeah, root. Yeah, one. yeah, yeah. So I thought if they would have kept going with that, it probably could have taken on, that would have taken on that kind of vibe and it would have gotten really creepy and really weird really fast. So I'm glad they kind of ditched that, but 
I am also glad that they started developing it because it still showed how lonely Sabrina is or how, how lonely uh, she feels. So for episode three with the weird and the new kind of crush interest, another Lucas, another Luke, I was so confused at first. I was like, wait, is that her wax doll already? Like all in a person? And then I was like, or is he actually like, part of the weird or is this just really odd timing that it just so happens that a cute boy that's into all the things that she's into and kind of exhibits some of those harvey and nick qualities that she was kind of looking for just happened to show yeah up. right oh, he's he's donezo with greendale by by the end of it and goes and when he it. actually shows up on camera for the first time you know, it's kind of a wide shot, and it's really dark around the around the door around the doorway that he's standing in, and you can barely just make him out, but you see his silhouette pretty pretty clearly. It kind of does give off this vibe, like, okay, who is this dude? What kind of trouble is he going to stir up for Sabrina? And you're right, you know, I didn't even think about that. You know, even though it wasn't the the boyfriend she was trying to make in the bathtub, it could have varied what possibly have been had they not revisited that. Uh, but before we uh, before we jump too far into the weird and talking about Luke, because I actually have a few other things I want to say about things that happened. Yeah, yeah. So there are all, there are a couple of other things that uh, we we kind of we kind of glanced over. I mean, we can go back to episode one for this, but really this plays out throughout the entire season. The Church of Hecate, yay! The new church, which I am going to admit, I had no idea who Hecate was when I first started watching this i had no idea um anastasia uh, my wife being as brilliant as she is she knows basically everything there is to know about everything knew exactly who hecate was you know explain to me hecate is the goddess of witchcraft magic the moon ghost night and necromancy she's a greek goddess she was the only child of perseus and Steria, from who she received her powers over the heaven earth and sea and obviously I just, I read that off everybody. I didn't, uh, there's no way I can remember that <laughs> off the top of my head. Yeah, he read it off the palm. He had it all yeah. scribbled, like, you know, he's like cheating on a test. It's a little blurred, <laughs> but I think I got it. But seriously, like, what a development from Satan to Hecate, as far as they worship. Mm -hmm. You know, Satan, Lilith, Hecate. And this seems like the right goddess for them i think they finally truly found what they were looking for in a being to worship absolutely but it's interesting that they switched that the coven switched to hecate because of the wicca ties and paganism being the umbrella term for everything that falls you know wicca and everything that falls underneath yeah. it after their big battle with these rogue pagans side note love that the carnival is carnival is still set up uh, yeah. because as we've learned throughout this season this is all taking place in like a year's time which is bonkers but but yeah so very cool that that's who they worship now and i think it just makes i think it makes so much sense it I really agree. does because and they're so much more powerful now and they're not reliant on lucifer the academy zelda hilda the coven they've come so far from that very first season as a group and it's uh it's been really cool to watch how they have just gone from hail satan to give love back to the earth you know and that's i i think that's really cool 
that's really really yeah absolutely all right so before we go too far into episodes three and four i wanted to go back to at least episode two the uninvited because i really liked this episode there's a lot that happens um hilda's wedding the loose incubus (laughs) that ends up possessing yes for a little bit best I love I that. I love horny Theo. It's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> He's just like, you look so damn hot with that bass in your hands. It's like, oh my oh, God. Oh, I know. And like when he came out of the bookstore and he just like undid that one button yeah. and then just goes strutting off. Like, oh, I love it. So in episode one, when they're fighting the darkness, they enlist the help of Sabrina Morningstar, the other version of Sabrina that's now ruling in hell. So in episode two, we find out that she's actually engaged to be married to Caliban. Oh, yeah. Caliban. Oh, yeah. And um, I think it was this episode, too, where Lilith and Lucifer are talking about Caliban, whether or not he's like a good fit, you know, a good match for Sabrina Morningstar. Mm -hmm. And Lucifer is like, well, he's made of clay. There's no, don't have to worry about, you know, dirtying the bloodline no one to come and um you know compete you know from his side of the family or anything like that and then he makes the comment about like and have you seen him without a shirt yep (laughs) and 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 that is that is actually an extremely important thing that he said there without it really sounding that important because lilith is pregnant with lucifer's child and she straight up asked him, you know, well, what about, you know, what about our baby, you know? And he's like, well, I guess there's going to be competition. It makes me wonder how much Lucifer really gives a shit about the fact that, you know, he's having a child with Lilith. Because as we've learned in the end, Lucifer is really just using Lilith this whole time. He doesn't give two fucks about her. She's just, she may have always been there, but she's just always just kind of there in his eyes. Mm-hmm. So the fact that his daughter, and Caliban can produce a potentially beautiful heir to the throne, really questions whether Lilith wants her baby to be raised by Lucifer. Absolutely. You know, and does she want her baby to be brought into the world where, where he's basically going to see his own child as a uh, potential threat to someone who could potentially be better looking than, than, than him, you know? Because he's so mm-hmm. he's so vain, you know. Lucifer is so vain; he always has been, and that even goes to show that he's even vain when it comes to the succession. And it's uh, it's sad. It's it's super sad. And as we learn later on in the season, after a uh, little after episode four, the lengths Lilith is willing to go mm-hmm. to prevent Lucifer from being able to raise the child, and it's super sad when yes. we get to that. Yes. But yeah, Caliban is back. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, he's they back. They didn't go into that at all, though, as far as how he was taken out of the cave. You know, when Sabrina, when, uh, at least I don't remember, did they? Because I don't think Sabrina Morningstar talked about how they pulled him out from that rock uh, that, that Judas was uh, uh, embedded in. Yeah. I don't think they touched up on that at all. No. I would have liked to have known how how did he break out from that? How did, was he free? Did Sabrina Morningstar free him? If so, why did she do it? What was her reason? 
why did she really hook up with Caliban in the first place? So although I thought it was cool to bring Caliban back, because I actually liked him better this season, even though we saw less of him this season, I liked him better this season than last season because Caliban in this season was all like, the throne is mine, you know? And, and that's what was a little confusing, like in episode three. He's clearly threatened by Lilith and the yeah. baby. And so him and the other... Um, demon gods uh Beelzebub and uh yeah oh my Osmodius Osmodius and so they they put a spell on Lilith so that she has her baby sooner and that it would actually the birth would kill yeah. her but then he's willing to do these things for Morningstar like take his balls off yeah because Spellman tricks him and yada yada and he's like oh you have to do all these things and you know yep cut off your balls which then he does and Sabrina Morningstar is like so if anything you just proved my point even more so throughout this season I guess I wasn't like you said we don't get a lot of Caliban he's just there more or less and so I'm like so are you threatened by just Lilith and the baby or are you still trying to plot against Sabrina Morningstar in an, an attempt to eventually take the throne for yourself? Because in that case, then Sub Sabrina Spellman is correct in that he still cannot be trusted. And you're absolutely right. And when Lilith goes to visit Sabrina Spellman uh, at the mortuary to tell her that uh, Sabrina Morningstar is to be married to uh, Caliban, Sabrina Spellman is just like, wait, what? <laughs> you know he's a terrible mm -hmm. person how how can she do this so she put when uh she pretends to be sabrina morningstar and, and invites caliban to the academy and she tells him about the sacrifice that he wants him to make she went into that knowing he would say no and then you got prudence there um who's got the knife with the nice little uh the blade on it that loops like all right let's 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 take him off <laughs> i love that i love that prudence was there you know yeah i love that it was prudence with that, in that yeah moment. but it's just you're right i mean we we see that caliban is he's back but he really mm -hmm. only seems to be back for the purpose of trying to stop lilith from giving birth to their child to the child of her and uh, lucifer and in the end that obviously falls flat on its face nothing really comes of it in the end except for what happens with the child after uh, later on in the season. But I don't think we really get much more of Caliban after this, though. I mean, I don't remember if he's in episodes five through, five through eight or, at all. I'd have to, I mean, I'm going to rewatch him in like a week, so I'll figure, I'll find out. I don't really remember if he was, but. We, we do get a version of Caliban when she's in that um, alternate reality, that other cosmos. Oh, okay. Yeah, whichever episode that sure. is, but. I think that's about it. But yeah, so Caliban and Sabrina Morningstar, they are married in episode two. Yeah. And I love Morningstar's wedding dress being all oh, red. Oh, gorgeous, wasn't it? Dude, I thought that, that, that dress was hot. I don't give a shit. Well, yeah. Dress. Very reminiscent of uh, Beetlejuice and Winona oh, Ryder's wedding, wedding dress. dress. Sure. Oh, sweet. Yeah. But one of my favorite moments in this season because it's the funniest goddamn thing in the world. So it's when they, so the uninvited is at the reception. He's like, I'm going to kill everybody. Yeah. 
Nick steps up and he's like, well, I'm the one that turned you away. So I should be the one who you kill. And he undoes <laughs> his shirt. The camera pans down just a little bit <laughs> and then pans back up and it cracks me up every single fucking time because that just they're really owning just like the cheesiness yeah. and the campiness of the show and so they still kind of throw those bits i was in. the one who turned you away kill me <laughs> see my pecs uh-huh surprised he didn't flex them i'm serious yes. no shit could do that like peck <laughs> individual flex thing that like terry cruz yeah, can do right. on i know what you're talking command. about that was the funniest thing. And then with the reception being at Dorian's when the uninvited first shows up and the uninvited takes Dorian's heart. Yeah. So last season, there was that small moment where I was like, oh my God, Dorian's dead. Yeah. Wait a minute. That's not how he dies. So this time I was like, you're not getting me again. Yeah. And turns out they fucking they, <laughs> reversed it and ended up getting me. They killed, they off, killed Dorian. off Dorian. Like, what? And that's actually, I thought that was pretty disappointing. Now, Dorian wasn't a huge part to the story, but he still played a role. And even in season three, he sent Sabrina to hell to fetch the flower for him. So he had his purpose, you know? He was there to help. Um, and in this season, he literally has one line where he says, you know, we have a strict dress code or whatever the fuck he said. And, next, and then he tells him he has to leave. He takes his heart, he falls to the floor, you know, and I think it's Prudence or somebody makes a comment that, you know, he's, you know, immortal. And then uh, Ambrose is like, immortal, yes, vulnerable or invulnerable, no, whatever. And then he looks at his painting and the heart is bleeding and now he's dead. And what's the painting doing out of the vault? Because wasn't it in a vault locked away safely in like season one Wasn't or two? it the painting of his, of how he actually looks like of his older self? I think that's something that would- it's like yeah well because it's the the lore with with darian dorian is yeah it's it, there's a painting that's the you painting. know i'm gonna say it. dorian dorian got screwed over this season yeah so screwed over <laughs> so i was confused i was like so can it be just like any painting i always thought it had to be like this one particular painting of him of yes his true self and that's how you would ultimately kill Dorian is you have to attack the painting. Well, I guess not. <laughs> so then I got confused. I was like, so did the uninvited like take the heart from the painting first? <laughs> I was like, what the fuck? But I agree. He um justice for Dorian. Justice for Dorian. Hashtag yes. hashtag justice for yes. Dorian. I Agreed. thought it was very disappointing. So it was just kind of sad. And like you said, it's not like he had ever had any major roles or anything, but he always played a part. Right. His bar was always a, a backdrop to right, right. stuff going on. You know, and like, he was there to help Ambrose when Ambrose was being accused of killing, of killing the high priest. He, 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 yep. he helped hide Ambrose. Um, so Dorian, you're right. Justice for Dorian. What the fuck? Yeah. Hashtag justice, Hashtag justice for Dorian. Um, but speaking of the wedding, although there was, you know, Hilda and Dr. C got married, they tied the knot, good for them. I thought the wedding scene itself, aside, anything that did not have to involve the uninvited, I thought was actually pretty disappointing. One, Sabrina's uh, made the wedding all about her, basically, when she gave her speech. Uh-huh. Classic. Classic Sabrina. Seriously. 
And, but it's funny because you can hear Hilda's there, you know, mumbling in the background. Somebody stop her. Mm -hmm. Well, it's not entirely Sabrina's fault. I'll give her that in that she got placed at the rogue witches table and then gin. they proceeded to get her gin drunk. <laughs> yes. Oh, she was getting crumped on gin. I wrote, I think I wrote that down too. That is true. It's like she can really hammer down the gin for a 16 year old. Dude, I can't even take like a <laughs> sip of gin. Hate it. Dude, gin's but, gross. <laughs> but whatever. Um, but yeah, she made it about her, which is actually kind of funny too, because in a few, a couple of scenes before that, Hilda uh, had, or not Hilda, Zelda has a bit of a breakdown about the wedding too. As we come to learn, Zelda is like clueless without Hilda. Mm -hmm. You feel kind of bad for her, but at the same time, you could tell that Zelda's never truly had to take care of herself. She's always had Hilda to help take care of her, but then she always had Hilda to lean on and also to shit on at the same time. And now she doesn't have that because she's married. Yep. But anyways, um, the wedding scene itself at first, anything without the uninvited, I thought was a little disappointing, especially when Fright Club came up and started singing. Now, I will say, I will say, at least they were a wedding band. At least it made sense. Yes. And they played a queen yeah, song. Yeah, but so. why did they do mm. Radio Gaga? That part I found to be kind of stupid and cheesy. There are so many great queen love songs, but why Radio Gaga? And nonetheless, you got everybody in the, it was at the wedding going, Yep, they're all clapping along. You know, it's and... like, you know, this isn't a Queen concert, okay? This is fucking Sabrina. But whatever. Um, at, at least the setting for them to be able to sing right there made sense. Um, mm -hmm. And it's also, it's also at the same part where, where Theo, again, tries to maul Robin because of the Incubus. Mm -hmm. And then the Incubus flies out of Theo and gets gut. Like Nick's running around trying to expel yeah. the incubus from different body hosts without like any kind of like Akron. He's just going like, what the fuck yeah, are you so doing, man? Here's how it goes. The incubus gets transferred from Theo to Harvey, Harvey to Melvin, and then Melvin to the uninvited. So mm -hmm. that 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 incubus really uh really wanted to find a host. Got around. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> and then the fact that the incubus ended up just being absorbed into the uninvite and just that was the end of the incubus was yeah the the, the elder Sarah just fucking ate him right ate him up like it was nothing so and i kind of loved it but i also felt it was a smidge anticlimactic for the incubus for the incubus no the yeah. incubus didn't really i mean yeah dr c had this had this incubus inside of him but well Actually, I think it didn't Dr. C have to release the incubus so he could protect at one point. Yeah. And last season, I think he, they took the bracelet off or no, whatever season had, was that season two or three that had like the rogue angels Two, Yeah. Season two, two. Yeah. So that's, um, when Hilda released yep, to take out, to take out the angels that were in the, in the, in the bookstore. Yeah. You're right. Yep. So, I mean, I guess not necessarily anticlimactic, but I, I don't really know what I was, I thought, I, I guess I just thought it was going to play out a smidge differently yeah. where they were able to maybe like just lock it up. I mean, this is good too, because then it's not a threat yeah. at all to anyone, but. I agree. I completely agree with that. But you know what, what really made up for it though, was towards the end of that episode when Hilda and Dr. C kind of had like the do over on their vows. 
They had their they wedding. They had their wedding. The wedding they wanted. Dressed in and everyone's in costume. costume. And so she she's the bride of Frankenstein. I think I think mm-hmm. he was Dracula. I don't really remember who he was dressed as. They they kind of wear their costumes that they wear at the at but the store. Big 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 Easter egg in that in that scene. Sabrina dressed as the original comic book version of Sabrina. Sabrina. Cool. Yeah. I thought that was so dope. When I first saw that, I literally screamed out loud. I was like, oh my god. <laughs> And anyone who knows me knows I'm a comic book nerd and knows I collect and read the chilling adventures of Sabrina and Sabrina the Teenage Witch. So that was just super cool, especially because I'm a fan of old Archie comics as well. So I just thought that was a great Easter egg, a great way to pay homage to where this character came from. Mm-hmm. Very fun. I, I complete, as someone who isn't a big comic book reader and read them or anything, it's still very recognizable. Yeah. So it was still a very cool moment if you're not a huge comic book nerd like Eric. You're just a simple nerd like me. You're far from simple. (laughs) You'll still like it. (laughs) I know, I'm very complicated. That's all I kind of wanted to touch up on uh, episode two. And also in episode two, real quick, Hilda does kind of mention, calls out like that wonky timeline um, during her vows to dr c in their living room wedding she says something about like you know however long we met ago weeks months yeah 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 that's right yeah you're right they did and it's funny because with this season leading up to sabrina's 17th birthday it hadn't really dawned on me i think until like i maybe halfway through the season or so where i was just like oh shit this is like a year like all this shit all this craziness the last three seasons all happened within 365 and we're years. actually about to touch into that a little more in this next episode the weird the weird the weird i the weird, the weird. i don't like octopus squids any of Slimy those things yes i don't i don't like them they're creepy yeah. they give me the willies so even though the darkness is my favorite the scariest this one i didn't like either well let's <laughs> first talk about something really cool with this episode is just the homage that it's paying to H.P. Lovecraft, uh, Lovecraft. So all the Eldritch Terrors are based on H.P. Lovecraft creations, monsters. Are they? They all are, yeah. yes. They all draw inspiration from them. <laughs> Let's see. I had a couple links saved, but yeah, basically they're all H.P. Lovecraft inspirations inspirations um so horror writer hp lovecraft created a similar entity called darkness also sometimes called magnum tenebrosum and the unnamed darkness as part of his group of outer gods it's part of the void that exists before all things but little is known about it so chaos chilling adventures of sabrina had a lot of room to develop that terror the uninvited is also seems to be inspired by Lovecraft's story, The Outsider. And in that tale, a beastly looking man who has never had contact with the outside world until he stumbles upon a party, much like the uninvited attended Hilda's wedding, and terrifies the guests there. But rather than being truly evil, the outsider is just lonely and sad that his appearance scares people. No heart ripping there. The weird is the more obvious one. Cthulhu? I never know how to pronounce that. Oh, yay! And then... The perverse 
is based on, let's see, the statue seems to take its name from the Edgar Allan Poe story, The Imp of the Perverse, where the perverse seeks to make people do things contrary to their own self-interest. Lovecraft was frequently influenced by Poe and eventually made his own god of perversion, Yagolanak. Yagolanak. So this whole season is like yeah an homage whatever you want to call it yeah okay like Cthulhu is the obvious one so I was a little curious like because this show I've noticed over the years does not just like make shit up they pull inspiration they rework it to fit their storylines and their characters and everything Sure, sure so I'm like these terrors have to have existed somewhere whether it's paganism christianity or satanism some sort of demons or something yeah yeah so but going the sci-fi right writer route i thought was even better that's a little different than our past seasons of heavy satan paganism it's yeah sure and actually you know and it makes perfect sense too i know again uh my apologies for not actually totally realizing that each one of these uh eldritch terrors were based on uh and it you know were inspired by hp lovecraft i just thought for sure the weird was the most obvious one, like you said, taken from Cthulhu. But this episode, I loved. And at the same time, I dread a little bit. Mm. Now, it wasn't a bad episode. It, 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 there was a lot of really cool things that happened in this episode. A lot of really creepy moments in this episode. But I think I was underwhelmed by the weird. That's why I didn't like it. I felt like the actual creature of the weird was very underwhelming because of how they ended season three. With the way they ended season three and how when when Blackwood broke open the egg, you see this gigantic shadow and this loud roar of what is clearly a Cthulhu-like character. Here I am thinking that before we knew this was going to be the Eldritch Terrors altogether going into season four, uh, here I was thinking this is going to be the big baddie, this big fucking squid, octopus-like fucking Cthulhu motherfucker. And although they give us little, like, uh, they give us little screenshots in this, uh, you know, when they're talking about them, and they show the tentacles coming out of the water being super long, you know what I'm talking about? It looks, mm-hmm. I mean, the weird overall is a lot larger than this small little squid octopus thing that's finding a host, you know, through the dead body and through Sabrina. But you don't see it in the way that it was portrayed at the end. It was supposed to be portrayed by the end of season three. And I really was looking forward to that. I mean, again, it's not, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't totally like ruin the episode for me. It was a very well-written episode. Like we mentioned before, we met Luke, who was only in this episode, but we'll go into him in a minute. There are some incredibly creepy moments in this episode. Some very cool moments in this episode. And also as you mentioned before, about the timeline of Sabrina when she is singing 16 going on 17 as her mantra to try to stay sane while they destroy her brain, essentially, you know, Mm -hmm. to force the, uh, the weird out of her brain. It was a weird episode. It was a weird, weird, and I, and you know what, no pun pun intended i'm not sure but it was just a strange episode and you know what throughout my notes i think i have weird written like a handful of times like not to be punny or anything like that just 
it was it was kind of that weird episode because let's see i also agree that her mantra was a weird mantra weirder song like the fact that it was just a song like an old song yeah. okay fine whatever but then that song and trying to wrap my in it for a brief moment it kind of took me out of the of the scene because i was like what were they thinking picking this song the obvious being that she is 16 going on 17 yeah, right, right nick being that older person to guide her or whatever the fuck the line was but the other kind of cool thing that happens in this season in this episode we talked a little bit is that Roz is for sure a witch madam uh marie mumbo is like no no you're a witch and then she kind of brings back yep. um Roz's grandma who explains yep. everything yep. that like we had to call ourselves cunning so yep. we weren't hunted but i thought they were cursed by witches it, yeah that's true too i thought about that um but i think that you know maybe just the succession in her bloodline you know long before she was born had to keep up that story you sure. know it's just so they so they wouldn't be hunted you know and they did it for purely to protect themselves and i thought that was an amazing reveal probably the best yeah. reveal of the entire season is that roz is a witch and i and and she owns it too she owns she does. that shit because like last season when we were talking about it um and she first kind of catches the glimpse of pan the the head of the pagans yep. and she first kind of catches something odd at the carnival but she doesn't she just kind of whatever doesn't dwell on it too much and i was like she needs to start trusting her cunning more yep. and then this season she does she uses she she just has that feeling about the uninvited she starts you see you know, it right away in the first embracing episode. it right in the first episode when she confronts yeah. sabrina like we talked about earlier yes. you know yeah you're, and you're right she is trusting she's learning to trust it she's learning to accept it and, and like i just said before she's learning to own it yes and now not only is she a witch they bring back the weird sisters all right i wanted to be the one to say it but that's okay yeah oh, i was yes. i wanted to be and i got to be because um, i was like yes i was like black women are saving the realms awesome. <laughs> so i actually wrote down here um so Roz, prudence and mambo maria are at the academy the three of them are in the observatory and they're discussing how each of them are going to be responsible for observing a different part of the realm earth heaven and hell uh, they basically will psychic link with each other and watch over the realms, um, which will help them prepare for any more eldritch terrors that are to come. And then within that moment, moment Prudence dubs them the new weird sisters. I, oh my God, like I, like I had one of those like crying laughs when I said oh. it, you know what I'm saying? Um, I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. And this is why I wish there was another season coming because i would love to see raz prudence and mambo marie working together as a trio shit give them a spin-off i'll take it hell yeah it, it was just such a cool moment for for raz it, i mean again i say character development a lot take a drink drink but <laughs> at, at last season to me i didn't think anybody was going to outbeat theo when it came to how far their characters come but i'm sorry i love theo but Roz just totally smoked Theo because now Roz is on a whole different plane. She is now taking on the responsibility of being kind of like a protector, you know? She's she's a seer, yeah. Yeah, uh, sent, sent, uh, what do they call each other? Uh, sentinels. Sent, sentinels, yeah, that's it. Yep. 
And I loved how that all kind of came about. So Mumbo Marie approaches Roz about it, gives her the vision of, of grandma. And then Mumbo's like, you need to come to, you know, meet me at the Academy. Yep. Roz shows up. Prudence is there to meet her and it's just super petty and kind of bitchy. Who are you again? Oh my Roz God. is like, I'm Sabrina's bet. Like we've met five or yeah. six times. <laughs> you handed me a sword. <laughs> and Prudence is just like, oh. Okay. I loved it. <laughs> oh, I thought that part was so fun. I wrote actually I wrote that down too. I put Prudence asks Roz if she if she knows her. And Roz is like, yeah, we've met like five yeah. times. <laughs> best, the best. Until they go and they test Roz's cunning with the with the tarot cards. Oh, that was such an awesome moment. I think I enjoyed that scene a lot more the second time around. Yeah. I think the first time watching it as a fan, not really trying to pick out any extreme details like I did the second time, you know, it just kind of got by me. You know, it's like, oh, you know, she's using her cunning. But then the second time watching it, I realized what's going on here. They are not, they're not just having her guess cards. They are testing Roz. And Roz passed the test. She proved that she can, she can hang with the fucking big girls. You know? She called every single card, even before Prudence drew it. She's like, and then the next one and the next one and Prudence's reaction throughout all of that. And then when that part's kind of all said and done, Roz gets that vision of the two Kings from hell yep. coming to going to Greendale, going to the Academy. Yep. And it's so funny. Cause she's like, and they're looking for a baby and she kind of rattles off what she's seeing. And she's like, does that make any sense to you guys? And they just go running. <laughs> she's like, wait, but does that make sense? But she's still like kind of unsure about this. She's yeah. just like, she's like, okay, I see this stuff. Um, but I'm new to this world, really. So does that make sense? I'm like, what's going on? There's a baby. Oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, Roz, wow. I mean, I, I'm so glad they did what that the showrunners did what they did with Roz this year, this season. It was just I just I think it's a shame though that we're not gonna get any. Because like I just said, I would love to see more of Roz interacting with Prudence, Mambo Marie, the Academy, this world, you know, she's just getting her toes wet. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have to accept it for what it is for right now. And if they ever come back, that'd be great. If not, well, that is what it is. But um, yeah, yeah. there's, I mean, there's a lot going on. So we got, we covered Roz. Um, we talked a little bit about uh, Caliban feeling threatened by yeah. Lilith and the baby. And that was so, in this episode too. Um, I, think yep. we, I think we touched up on most of that already. Caliban just, he sent, he sent Asmodeus and Beelzebub to, to the Academy. Oh, actually, before I get into that, one thing that's really cool, is, was this, oh shit, was that this episode or the last episode where, when she gave birth? It's this episode. She gives... Yes, it is this episode. Okay, I thought I had wrote, written that down. So what I thought was super, super, super fucking cool is when Lilith was given birth, Hilda could tell that the pain that she was in was definitely different than normal labor pains. And mm-hmm. she called on her coven to extract that pain from Lilith and to take the pain in themselves so Lilith can give birth to this child without any any complications really any sense of death like Caliban is hoping for basically breaking Caliban's spell Mm -hmm. diverting that pain and And it's spreading it equally amongst the coven brilliant I thought that was so cool like that is I don't feel odd saying this as a man but this is how I kind of would imagine sisterhood 
you know, if you, if you could do that for your fellow sisters, you would, you know, and I think it's. <laughs> someone, as someone who's experienced labor pains and I did not, I did not have an epidural. I had just the minor or yeah. local anesthetic or whatever. So I, I mean, granted it wasn't a spell that was trying to burst my baby out of my That's belly or anything, too. but that is some intense pain. And <laughs> if I had willing um, volunteers to take that from you, <laughs> yes, that's fine. But I would not, because, and I loved, I, I completely agree though. I love that scene. I love that they used um, the power of Hecate to di disperse that pain. And I love Lilith's reaction during all of that, because I think she sees how powerful these witches are without Lucifer, yeah. with, without his power, and that they are drawing power from a completely different source that is still helpful, beneficial, yeah. powerful. But she's so taken back by it that she doesn't push. And then, oh, there's a baby. Yeah. <laughs> like all the girls are just like screaming and in pain and the and prudence, hats off. She just, her portrayal of it, that actress's portrayal of the pain, like she goes above and beyond. Like if you watch just prudence during all of that, she is in it to win it. That's funny. <laughs> she, it's beautiful, but. Nice. Hilda's like, oh, the I see the baby. It's here. It's coming. And the whole time, Lilith is still just kind of dumbfounded by. She's like, what's going on? Hecate's power. Yeah. What's She's happening like, here? Like, oh, so powerful. You didn't even have to push. Lucky you. <laughs> oh, good for you, lady. But what's also really funny is still, even after all that, and now knowing that she has got this protection from the coven, she still totally fears Lucifer and what he will do and when hilda and zelda offer her a place to stay at the academy she says well what about the dark lord's wrath and zelda says the best thing i wish i would have written this down but i hope i'm close to it she says we've dealt with the dark lord's wrath before we could do it again you know yeah and it's a kind of a powerful thing to say because they're basically saying we will protect you if you allow us they're they're not afraid of him anymore they've got mm -hmm. right you know because before like yeah they they feared him they were his they that's who they worship that's where they got their power and now they are completely independent yep. of him so mm -hmm. i love zelda's confidence in that where anytime lucifer or hell is brought up as a, any kind of threat she's just like whatever i don't care got other things going on yeah right so then when the kings of hell show up and you know, start demanding to pay respects to the baby. Like they know what's going on. You know, they, they know they're up to some shady shit and the Kings of hell, not knowing that they've switched gods. Yeah. And they're like, well, let's show you what our goddess can do. Oh and God. then they throw Thanks. all that labor pain at them. Yeah. And it was awesome. You know what? I think, uh, I know there's actually been real, uh, experiments done with men to give them a uh, sense of what labor pain feels like. Um, and they do it with like little electromagnetic things um, for some case studies. But I truly believe most men who would probably ever have to feel something like that would truly ball up in flames and just die. <laughs> probably, so, absolutely. Props, props to you, to, to all women who, uh, that's amazing, that's amazing. You know, aside from, you know, that, you know, this episode had a lot, had a lot of other things going for it. I mean, not just with the, you know, with, with the coven and with uh, uh, Lilith. Um, Sabrina's, 
I feel like Sabrina's role in this episode was the heaviest out of the first three episodes. Um, because the first episode with the darkness, she worked with uh, Ambrose. She worked with, uh, and she worked with Sabrina Morningstar and with the gang to expel the darkness. The Uninvited, she sought help from uh, Sabrina Morningstar again, Lucifer, Lilith, uh, to help trap him, uh, the Uninvited, into the dollhouse. This episode was a little more personal. Now, granted, she did have help. In every one of these episodes, she needed help. She couldn't do these alone. But this hit Sabrina a lot more, a lot harder than those other two because the weird worked its way inside her body. It was living in her. It was using her as a host, first in, in her intestines and then in her fucking cerebellum. It was a really unique thing to pull off, I think, as, you know, as a, as a creator of a show to be able to express that on the screen, you know, and show it. Some really cool practical effects they used when Ambrose like sliced open her stomach and you saw the intestines and then you saw the, you know, the little squid working through. I know, right? Oh my God. <laughs> I know. So gross. But, and I love the way actually, uh, I, I forgot to write it down, but the method that Ambrose uses to be able to locate it within her body when she lays on the table. I love his x-ray machine. Yeah, that thing is so cool. Oh my God. So cool. That thing was so cool. And Ambrose was basically trying to do everything he could to try to save Sabrina. The way that they go about it, I thought was very interesting by having to basically extract the weird out of her through the ways of magic by using, by, by, by uh, uh, relying on uh, Sekarax, who is the, uh, the, the witch of like the 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 sea witch yep um and then oh what's the other one's name the one who like destroys all living things was it a pesta pesta yep like pestilence yep, yeah yep very very like pesto i thought that was very very cool that the way i, that I agree I, I love that those rogue witches i think they call them the hedge witches yeah uh the ones that are essentially covenless I love that they brought them in not only for, you know, they, they all sat at like the single ladies table at Hilda's wedding, but then also, yeah, two of them brought in for this episode to help extract the weird before the weird got into Sabrina, when Ambrose is first dissect, dissecting, uh, doing the autopsy on the weird's first victim. Mm -hmm. And you see that a little thing like, come out of the body and yeah. plop on the floor and go crawling across, yeah, yeah. you know, as Ambrose is on the phone. I, I liked that because I got some, the thing vibes from it. Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So that I, I was all for, but I don't like octopi oh and God, squid. Please. So everything about it was just kind of creepy. And then how they were able to then expel the body of the weird, but yeah. it's conscious stays in Sabrina's, Right, right. Brain you know. uses with her mind, and what it tells her too is that it chose her because of her emptiness. You know that there is an emptiness in yep. her. But the weird had also told Blackwood at the beginning that because the Blackwood was like, "Well, take me, use me as your vessel." Yep. And they were just like, "No, you're not powerful enough. We want Sabrina Spellman. She has bested two of our harbingers." Do you think that's void or whatever. This empty vessel is 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 so powerful. I mean, maybe. 
It can be, but I don't think they necessarily, I, I think she could still be power. Obviously she's still, still powerful with that empty loneliness feeling. Maybe. It, and because. Maybe with, with her being empty, she has nothing to hold her back from years. True. And so willing and wanting to kind of fill that emptiness and with a partner, a boyfriend, it, it just made her the perfect host for it to latch onto. But she was also strong enough to fight it, host it. Yeah, sure. To host well, it and fight it. Yeah, right, right. And you know, it's funny because the first, second time around, I got a better sense of how powerful the weird was when Luke came into class uh, after he had the. Uh, the uh, crazy uh, hot makeup session with Sabrina and, you know, all that tongue action. Um, <laughs> oh, I know, right? so gross. Oh, my God. First off, just the idea of, like, this, like, tentacly tongue. Ugh. Uh, yeah, it, makes, uh, it makes me squirm. But Luke, did, Luke, Luke reacted the way I think anybody would react. But he was a little nicer about it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. And awfully forgiving, you uh, know. You know, I think it... it it didn't take long to realize that Luke really wasn't a bad guy. He was just, he was just brought in as, as kind of just an extra, you know? Mm -hmm. I think to, to showcase again, you know, her, her want for a boyfriend so much that she's creating one in the bathroom. One just happens upon Greendale and happens to be her lab partner. And she seems to be like more into it. You know, she went on the two dates, so she's a little more, uh, open to the whole dating and, and everything and kind of seeing like, Oh, is this, would this person work out? And maybe we'll just make out a little bit. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, so I think, I think that was really his role, his purpose. Cause at first I was like, why, what, what was that if he wasn't anything else? But I think, yeah, just to kind of highlight her loneliness, but there was another really hilarious part similar to the uh nick and busting open his shirt camera yeah. pan down scene so she tells ambrose that she she demands that ambrose gets the weird out of her and i can't remember if it's the brain part now yeah but the camera does a quick zoom in on her face yeah i know what you're talking i remember the part and like there's the there's the x-ray that's like right behind her so uh -huh. Oh yeah, that part was funny. That that was some good camera work right there. That's yeah. some good camera work. Um, so again, there's they're kind of playing into the the campiness of the lovable campiness of this show. You know, going to the actually more towards the beginning of this episode, when the weird uh, comes to uh, comes to the Pilgrim Church, Father Blackwood offers himself up as a sacrifice to take in to be a host for the weird. And you know, we said how you know he turned him down because he wasn't powerful enough you could see the look of disappointment on his face and how upset he was about this because you could tell this is what he wants. He wants to be more than, the, than a man. He feels like he deserves to be more than just this. You, well, I mean, he, he, he's immortal. He's got, the, he's got the mark of Cain, so he can never die. But he wants to be more than that. He wants to be, he wants to be forever. And back in episode two with The Uninvited, he ate the flesh of The Uninvited thinking that this could help project him to be a higher being than what he is now. And now he's straight up getting rejected, saying, no, you're basically not worthy. And you got to take this sense that, that from Blackwood's perspective, that all that he has been doing has been basically for nothing. 
because he felt himself to be up there amongst these highest of being. Maybe even in a way thought he was bet he could he could become something larger than them. But we learn. I mean, we've learned this throughout the entire series, really. But it's really apparent now in this episode at that beginning in that line that Blackwood isn't shit. Mm-hmm. You're not a worthy being. Now at this point, all he wants to do is just have Sabrina killed because what else does he have to live for? So I was going to ask now: Do you think that? that answer from the weird and that reaction from the weird and telling him you're not strong enough you're not powerful and knowing what has been driving blackwood especially these last like two seasons do you think that is why he created with the imp of the perverse that alternate reality where he is emperor of all but really greendale i thought it was kind of a step back for Blackwood in the sense that it was all done merely to get Sabrina to um, take her out once and for all and be like he's still holding on to all that yeah. anger and hate and that grudge that he's held against her for that has I mean rightfully so like grown over the last few seasons yeah, yeah. that it just kind of came to a head with the perverse like if you're going to alter reality why would you set i understand setting it up where you're the emperor of everything but then why also include sabrina as public enemy number one like why you letting her live in your head rent free i think it was a last ditch effort you know to try to find some relevance in his life i think that blackwood realizes now that this might be his final opportunity not just to really you know get sabrina and kill her or do whatever but to be worshipped the way that he wants to be worshipped. And what better way to do that than to take on this dictatorship role? You know, very Nazi-esque. Very Nazi-esque. Very. It's, um, hail Blackwood. Hail, hail Blackwood. Well, exactly. And, you know, it, it, that episode actually was a very interesting episode. You know, it starts off with the trinket man arriving at the shop, you know, at the church. I love the trinket man. So I love, okay, I love that there's just this mystery about the trinket man and we don't know anything about him. So per the Google, the trinket man, also known as, and I'm not going to pronounce this right at all, uh, the N-Y-A-R-L-A-T-H-O-T-E-P. I don't know. he is another creation of H.P. Lovecraft. Oh. We'll just call him N or Nyar. Uh, Nyar or the crawling chaos is the avatar of the outer gods existing as the in- incarnation of space and functions as an intermediary between the deities of the Pathanon and their cults. The only outer god to have a true personality he possesses a malign intellect and reveals a mocking attempt for his masters. So again, pulling inspiration from H.P. Lovecraft, it sounds like. And then there's also theories on, you know, aside from an H.P. Lovecraft creation, who else the trinket man could be. Right. And one of one thing that I read was, could it possibly be the false god? Oh. Or, you know, God. <laughs> There's also speculation that maybe it's Kronos because he possesses the um, 
Oh, I like that. He has the stone. Omphalos, yeah, yeah, the stone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ooh, I like I like that theory. He could be in the incarnation of Kronos. I do like that. Boy, yeah, theories. Love them. But, oh, gosh, just this episode alone, I I mean, I don't feel like, in compared to the other three episodes, I don't think as much happened in this episode. Um, because, basically, here, we right from the beginning, we know exactly where we have to get to. We have to reverse time. We have to get things back to where they were. But how do we do that? And the answer, which was awesome, was right at the beginning of the episode when the trinket man offers him the stone. That's that. That is the answer. So, do you think if Blackwood had taken the stone versus the imp, whereas the stone has the ability to create reality rather than using the imp of the perverse to create a false reality? The trinket man was maybe trying to knowing maybe knowing what um, Blackwood's intent was to be like the stone is really what you're looking for if you wanna. I have a feeling the trinket man is a steer. Um, he, I think he know. I think he he had to present the stone to Blackwood in order for Blackwood to take the imp. I don't really see it any other way, because Blackwood knew what he see, but I don't think he realized how he was meant to see. Now keep in mind though, the per the perverse itself is the Eldritch Terror. That little statue there, that is the terror. And at the end of episode three, he even says that the perverse is coming. But I don't think he knew what form the perverse was taking. At this point, he he's not going to be an Eldritch Terror. He's not, he's never going to ascend to that height. So his last ditch effort is to be emperor of all and have always been emperor. Dub Sabrina and public enemy number one, yada, yada. I've seen all this before in Harry Potter. I don't think anymore it is so much about him ascending to a height of being a god. It's just about the idea of him being able to rule for as long as he's able to make that last. And with Sabrina snuffed out and out of the way, it makes his job a hundred times easier, which is why I think he's, he dubbed her public enemy number one. It's just that the way it was all portrayed, with everything that's going on in the world right now, you see people today who follow that same kind of mindset, you know, for folks like Donald Trump. Nah. It's just that blind faith in a false idol is what I think that comes, what it comes down to. And, and Faustus was a, was a false idol in this alternate universe. But the nice thing about it is there was a way to bring everybody back and realize, hey, this isn't actually reality, which hence where the stone comes in again. And, uh, you know, Hilda had the greatest idea, you know, about turning it into stoop. <laughs> it, made mm -hmm. total, it made total sense. Yeah. But then I also loved it how, like, Sabrina just, like, chucked it at him. And it hit him open. Oh, my God. Yeah. Blackwood is a witch. Ugh. That's so funny. But... You know, I did like I, I did like some of the things in this episode, like as far as like with Ambrose. Ambrose having absolutely no idea who Sabrina is, you know, and he's trying to flee for his life because he's been marked as a witch. But then you learn that once you cross the border of Greendale, the spell is broken. And as soon as he crosses the border, who's there waiting for him but the trinket? And the trinket man reveals to Ambrose basically what needs to be done. Ambrose figures it out, I think, for himself. But the trinket man's like, you sure you don't want the shiny rock yeah <laughs> so for me like this episode it was it was all right i 
I, maybe out of the first four, it's kind of maybe my least favorite. Yeah. I, I have the least written about it um, just because you're dealing with an alternate reality that is eventually fixed. We've seen these things before. Yeah. That's but I guess I started during my rewatch of it, I started getting questions about Agatha. So in this alternate reality, yeah. So in this alternate reality, uh, Prudence serves Blackwood as, as well as uh, Judas and Judith. And again, at least Judith got some speaking lines. Yep. I don't think Judas did, but they, but uh, Prudence asks them, why isn't Mad Agatha dressed and ready for yeah. know, the party or yeah. whatever? Yeah. So we see right away in this alternate universe, Agatha is back to being crazy. Yeah. But then when Sabrina is, per the instruction of Zelda, goes to Dr. C's bookstore yep. and finds that little small group of resistance, yeah. Agatha's there and she's like, and she's like, and she's fine. She's not Fully aware of everything that's going on. Yeah. But then when she returns back to Blackwood and his, you know, little church where he's, you know, hiding out or, you know, where he's been staying and she's like, she's not all crazy like she was initially in this reality she's like oh i was just at the uh you know church or whatever and making sure or is at the school, wherever she was she was someplace making sure everything was getting ready and the prudent calls her out on it yeah yeah and then once reality is reset back to what it should be she's mad again she's mad again wait yeah so, i didn't think about that what the fuck is going on with Ag okay so agatha goes mad last season yeah. with the was it the the pagans or was it blackwood no it, it was it, it was pan because pan put her under her spell pan under his spell so then she's she's crazy up until like the end of season three she's at least able to like speak and follow blackwood so at that point had he put a spell on her so she wasn't mad but still followed him yeah yeah and then okay so then so she's so with this alternate reality that broke blackwood's initial spell on her that made her coherent yeah but but was able to bring back all of her memories of everything that had happened leading up to that point so she remembers the actual reality inside this alternate reality but then when the alternate reality is broken then she's back to being crazy back reverting back to season three uh if i could so, if i could just quote something from our from yes. another show that we've done before you know everything going on with agatha right now is all wibbly wobbly, wobbly tiny stuff um totally totally is but no you see the thing that i like about what they did what they're doing what agatha is getting a lot more attention this season. Yes. um she's always had lines she's always had lines in all the other seasons but they've never truly focused on her before this season mm -hmm. and even going forward after episode four they focus on her a lot a lot more and it's great mm -hmm. um yes. but in the end in the end agatha is mad she really is it's just that in this one reality she is coherent she understands what's going on it doesn't make sense that once they get there, she's mad right away, but whatever. Um, so was she, I guess my question is, was she faking being mad because she had her memories it back? It doesn't make sense though, because if you think she comes back to the church and she sees Father Blackwood and Prudence, they asked where she was and she's not, at, she's acting all normal. I mean, unless she was yeah. just caught on the spot and didn't know what to do. 
which is possible because um, her nickname was Mad Agatha. So mm -hmm. maybe she was faking it uh, or yeah, maybe she was faking it. So that, that doesn't, yeah. that makes better sense. But if she was faking it, then how does she end up in their grips anyway? Like how did Agatha come to be part of his church in this alternate universe if she was already mad? I guess that's just a question we won't we won't get answered. We just have to. I, I mean, there. I mean, because she got all her memories back. Maybe it was like she has to, and she was already on that side, you know, with him and and Judas and and Judith and everything. Yeah. Where maybe she just had that snap realization of I need to fake it to make it yeah. and figure something out. Right, right. Um, I feel sense. like there's a lot of like deleted scenes that could give a bit more context to different scenes. And I think that there's some that would have helped with kind of Agatha's storyline in, in this episode. And there was another one, I think it was maybe back in the first episode with darkness because Nick mentions that he would work with the fright club yeah. to fight off the the darkness the miners right right and sabrina's like what and he's like what we fought the pagans it was fun yeah, yeah. so when he shows up at harvey's the, the scene comes in starts and nick is already inside and he's like you know we need your help blah 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 but harvey and Roz, especially harvey looks a bit frazzled like they were in like a heavy makeout session and nick <laughs> just barged in which i think would have been funny to see oh that's good but it's just kind of little things like that. You know, I was like, why does Harvey look so disheveled? Like, what was going on? Mm, good point. Yeah. Music. It's funny. Making music. Um, That's what the kids call it this day, these days. Yes. Yep. And <laughs> but something major did come out of this episode. Something huge came out of this episode. Prudence decapitated Father Blackwood. He took his head off. Got off him. of his head. Um, she got him. And she Finally. knows that he can't die, but she will torture him for as long as she can. And as we see going forward from in, uh, epi in episodes after number four, she takes full advantage of that. Mm -hmm. You know, you're right. Of the first four episodes, this one, I wouldn't say it was a weak episode. It was just more of a, eh, you know. Kind of been there, done that, like you said. You've like, seen, we've seen things this. before, you know. We mm -hmm. know how they're going to turn out in the end. But I will say this. They did a pretty damn good job with the propaganda that was all over the place. You know, the posters, you know, Hale Blackwoods and things like that. The outfits that they the outfits. created were really, really cool. They were very uh, dictarian. I don't know if that's a word, but very uh, uh, Nazi-esque, as we said. Yeah. The attitudes that everybody projected towards worshiping Blackwood was basically spot on to what I would expect to see in, like, Nazi Germany. Mm-hmm. It seemed like they were only after witches. At least that's the impression we got in this episode. Who knows? There could have been other people that they were after. Witches was just the focus here. Um, and like Robin was accused of being a witch. Theo was accused of being a witch. Uh, 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 Nick for not singing in the choir when they were singing to Blackwood uh, on his birthday. Well, and to be fair, Blackwood's song is fucking terrible. It really wasn't great, but still. Uh, the fact that he wouldn't sing stuck out the blackwood and it was like you know you're uh you're basically gonna you're be executed you're a witch burn him and then at first i wasn't sure you know when he was getting ready to like torture nick and he's got nick and and roz because they end up getting roz yeah um and they've got nick laying on the table and everything and i just start giggling i was like why is he shirtless i'm not complaining 
but why was he shirtless? And then, you know, they put the board on him and the rocks. And I was like, maybe that's why, because then Sabrina makes a comment. One, you know, they kind of are flirting with each other. And Roz was like, really? You're flirting with your oh, ex-boyfriend? Yeah, yeah. First, he's like, who are you? And he's, she's like, I'm a friend. He's like, a hot friend. It's like, really? <laughs> is this really the moment to say something like that? <laughs> like, you can't just appreciate the help that you're receiving. <laughs> Nope. Nope. Gotta, gotta say. Get a little flirty and yeah. But you know what? That's just that's Nick though. That has always oh, been yeah. his character. Because in his line, it was something, you know, with all the rocks piling on his chest and everything. He's like, I could have taken more. And then somewhere along in there, along the lines in there is like, well, you know, it's a nice chest. And <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> Again, not disappointed with episode four at all. I thought it really was a good episode. Also, look let's talk about the scene where uh really quick where harvey and roz are in harvey's room okay and her and roz tries to talk some sense into harvey okay i don't really want to focus so much on what she says to him because it went absolutely nowhere on his end but i just want to talk about really quick about the outfit that he was wearing during that scene if you recall harvey was wearing a white beater with suspenders mm-hmm. black pants and boots this yes. is a very common outfit that you see in modern day Nazis. Holy shit, I can't believe they went that far. <laughs> like I was like the the militant outfits they were wearing. Okay, I could see that. That's cool. But holy shit, they went like into like the home life of these people and what they wear at home. That was insane. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly the type of shit you would see like uh, a neo-Nazi wearing these yep. days. So Yep. Yeah, there was no, it wasn't hidden. It was, you know, the symbolism wasn't hidden. No, it was all right there. You're absolutely right. Um, and his room is just filled with these propaganda Blackwood posters, which, you know, I'm not going to lie. If I could get my hands on a piece of memorabilia from this season, I think it would be one of those Blackwood posters. I would never hang it, but I would love to own one just to say I have it because it's, I mean, if you look at them, like they're terrible as far as like what they're, what 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 they really mean in the background. But you know, it's a cool piece of a, cool piece of cool set piece to own. I would say cool set piece. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so overall, what would you say if you on a scale of one to ten, how would you rank the first half of season four? Oh, I as a strong eight. Yeah eight and a half, maybe almost a nine. Yep. Again, just some of the, you know, like, like Agatha, just some of these questions mm-hmm. that I kind of still have, or just, you know, small issues, you know, so it's like yeah. the questions of what's going on with Agatha and the minimal use of Judas and Judith. Yeah. Yeah. So those kind of knock it down a couple of pegs. Yeah. True. And I guess just kind of in general, my initial reaction was, I don't, I don't really like that Sabrina spends, you know, like this first half of the season pining for a boyfriend, not knowing how to be single, kind of even questioning whether she wants to just casually date anybody. Because I'm just like, at first I'm like, you know, let's start, let's start pushing forth that kind of image and that message of we don't need other people to be happy and successful and to thrive and grow. Right. But also keeping in mind that she's a teenager, this has taken place in in a year's time, there's going to be that time period of where she's, you know, she's, she doesn't have Harvey, she's lost, she's not with Nick. And kind of like you said, she's always had somebody, she's always had a boyfriend. So now there's going to be that time period where 
a person's finding their footing without having a partner. So after I kind of thought of it that way, I settled down a little bit, but my initial reaction was like, just be, be fine with yourself. Be okay with yourself. You know, look at Aunt Hilda. Yeah, sure. It took 160 years and Aunt Hilda's 160 years old. And, uh, which actually doesn't make sense. She's not 160. She's definitely, I think she's older than that because Ambrose is like what? 190. What did they say? Was it 190? No, it's in this season. They, 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 they give it, they, they say what Ambrose's age is in this season. I don't think it was in the first four episodes. Okay. Um, because so I remember I sent you a message saying, oh my God, they give it, they, they reveal his age. I think it was like 190. something like that. But it just in that, you know, it, took hilda all this time to find someone and you know and her, her message she's totally happy yeah. with it oh no well did, during sabrina's speech did she say something about that um oh yeah uh, she's like, like, a like spinster a, niece yeah she's like a century and a half later but who's counting you know um but i think i'd agree with you between an eight to an 8.5 is where I would rank it. And I think it's for basically the same reasons that you said. I mean, there's a few unanswered questions. There are some things that happen super suddenly, like with Dorian's death. Mm-hmm. Hashtag justice for Dorian. <laughs> yes. We're going to get it going. We're, we're going to do that. It's going to be good too. And I think a lot of it just had to do with just the fact that they're wrapping up the season. They have to get to that final point, but they don't want to... I don't feel like they're doing any in service or disservice to the fans with the way yeah. they're going, that they chose to go about this, but just that there's just some things that we're not going to get answers to. And we have to accept that. I will say overall, it was a great season or an absolute great season. And I can't wait to do the second half of our discussion in, in, uh, in, in a couple of weeks, because there's some things that co- that happen in these upcoming episodes that are, that are implanted in my memory especially especially with agatha agatha and prudence have an extremely emotional moment towards the end of the season that even brought me close to a tear because it was just so real it was so passionate and then how that moment ends is just like oh jeez. but we'll talk about that next time because i got to rewatch it to really get a good sense of it but yeah same here but yeah, this was a fun first half. It had humor and spookiness and scariness and cheesiness and more singing. But I will agree that the singing this season as a whole made sense. There weren't just random ass. For the most part, it made sense. Oh, we'll talk about that in the next in the next recording. <laughs> well done. <laughs> I can't wait. Yes. Uh, I don't really have anything else to anything else i want to say so i guess i just want to say thanks for having me on yeah i really look forward to the second half of our conversation in a couple weeks episode five through eight and oh gosh it's going to be our last recording on sabrina that is so sad one more so yeah i think i've said everything i needed to say for this first half so thank you for being on the podcast and listeners thank you for listening (laughs) god damn it and everyone stay safe and keep streaming bye bye